This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Good morning. This is Talking Devils, your favourite Manchester United podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, joined as always by Manchester United legend Paul Parker to talk over um, another interesting result for Manchester United at the weekend. Um, before we get on to that, Paul, how are you doing? You all right? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you very much, Wayne. Good. Uh, if you're watching, please like and subscribe. If you're watching live on YouTube or Facebook, feel free to get your questions and comments in. And if you're watching the replay, uh, hello, and do feel free to comment. We do reply on the comments that we get. Um, a couple of things before we actually talk about the football poll, actually. Um, yesterday was released, um, or revealed by Louis van Gaal on television that he's uh, been diagnosed with prostate cancer. and He's already undergone quite a bit of treatment. Um this is a subject that's quite close to your heart, obviously. It's something that you campaign for. You've had personal experiences with it. Um, you don't. It, it's such a a bombshell, isn't it? Really, you don't normally see um, some uh, such a big name come out and just sort of confront the fact that they're dealing with something like this. It, it did take you by a surprise in the same way they did most of us. Well, yeah, it did when uh, <clears throat> when my dad finally when my dad was willing to accept there was something wrong. And I'm sure, I'm sure Louis Van Gaal um, didn't just come out straight away. I'm sure yeah. he was having to push, be pushed to accept it. I think it's just a, a, a man's mentality. Um, it's a man of that era as well, that yeah. age group, that you don't want to show any kind of weaknesses. And I think you could see that the way he is, is very, you know, the way he holds himself is he didn't want to be seen as maybe be, doesn't want to be seen as being weak, and I don't. And I think men have to accept that it's not being weak. It's something which is really, you know, it's grabbing, it's taking people away. It's you know, yeah. it's very, very serious. And it took me. I mean, I've been involved now with the charity for quite a few years now, but you know, it took me after being involved with the charity what six, seven years for me to have a test. It's only because they asked, would I, you know, would I do a survey? And I thought, yeah, I'll do a survey. I never knew the survey involved me having a test. And when I found that out, I knew I had to follow it through, Wayne. I had to, I said yes to doing the survey, so I had to have it. But I was nervous, you know, when they told me, if I'm, you know, once I'm tested, if there's something comes through and, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't line up, the numbers aren't good. What I had to process, had to go through, it was, 
I was kind of sitting there being told it um, up in London and it was it was quite you know worrying that bit of it but lucky enough for me my numbers are, are good at this t- good at the time but mm-hmm. that can all change it, it's not just so oh, that's it it's fine you know in a, I have another test in a year's time but things can change and when you see some people who have had the operation and you know you look at them you, and they're fine I mean I during one I've done a walk I finished off a Jeff Stelling walk and we ended up um it ended up finishing at the um the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and we did a speech and there was people speaking there was a lot of people a lot of people did the walk and we're all sitting there down just behind the benches and a man of about six foot three, six foot four, started giving us a talk and he's got his children around him. And the man was elegant, just the way he was dressed, the way he looked, and he was talking away. And as we were finishing, he turned around and told us that he's terminal. Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden you could have, everybody just went, ooh. Like the, the way he spoke and everything, it was like a, it was like it was really motivational what he was saying. And his kids were there, the kids were... You know, you could see the way that it was absolutely incredible, incredible speech he gave. But that bit at the end, when he just said that he was terminal, it just took everyone back. Everyone just went, oof, it was incredible. It took a good 10, 15 minutes where everyone got themselves going and, and everyone got together after the, you know, after the walk around all the London clubs. So it was yes. a good day. And that bit ended a little bit, but then it was lightened again, the mood when everyone got together after. Yeah, it's a reminder that time is not promised to any of mm. us. And, the, you know, getting these checks, regular checks for any illnesses, really, you should be doing that. Listen to your body. And, um, yeah, obviously our thoughts go to Louis and his family. But one of the formidable characters in world football, in the history of world football, uh, without a doubt, Um Reminder to be grateful for the things that you have and the things that you can experience. Um, I certainly had that last week. Um, as you know, Paul, I had a bit of a whirlwind book tour with um, Sammy McElroy for his autobiography that came out last Monday. Um, the last Busby Babe, as fitting a title as they could be for a player, a legend of United history. And we had a, we obviously we had a book launch at Hotel Football on, on Wednesday and we had a, a trip to Belfast on Thursday, which was quite eventful. Put a little diary of the book, the talk, basically behind the scenes of a book launch on the channel um, as well. So you can find that on on our YouTube channel. You just look through after you've watched us, of course. Um, a couple of little bits of housekeeping before we move on to the game. Um, there's a post match podcast we're now doing with Mark hosting. Um, at the weekend he did with Dave Reese and Stu. They did a really good job breaking down the game and analyzing it um straight after the final whistle so give that a watch um after, again after you've uh, watched us and that's a regular feature on the website on the channel now as is the history podcast i do with paddy obviously we've had a couple of weeks off with that but it'll be back this week um we were just um slowing it down a little bit because we were obviously 11 or 12 episodes already on there just want to give it a bit of breathing space before we return, which will be this Thursday, the next episode of that. Okay, so, Paul, Manchester United versus Leicester. Before we pick it apart, I do want to comment on Harry Maguire, because before the game, there was a lot of talk. Obviously, he got booed playing for England. He got bad reception. I tweeted something that along the lines of, I expected he'd get a great reception at Old Trafford, and he did. 
regardless of that, one thing you have said for months in amongst all this criticism of Maguire is that you always felt that he'd be a natural right-sided defender. And it was interesting that he played there on on Saturday. I, I'd love to know what you think of this. Personally, I look at it and I think he's 29 now. I think regardless of even if he, he started to have a good spell at United, I think that United are already in a position where they have to be looking at a long-term turnover of the club captain as well. And that means that Maguire's future at the club will be, whether or not it's short or medium or long-term, is still not likely to be part of the next team that wins a serious trophy at United simply because of his age. So firstly, what do you think of this move to right back, uh, to right off, um, right centre off? And secondly, do you think it's come a little bit too late for him, even if it's a successful change? If he if it was well, I'll, I'll go with the last bit first. Is that for for it to change for him? It might have happened too late. There is a ch- there is a chance, but it all depends. Again, you're waiting to see how things are going to change. A new man coming in to take over the job. Is he going to be able to do everything that he wants to do? In other yeah. words, spend at the times he wants to spend, get the money he needs, and bring in who he wants. Yeah. That's, that's what it's about more than anything. People talk about sporting directors, director of footballs, general managers. I mean, they've had they've had no different. They've had no different. There's no all means the same thing in the end of the day. But I think the only way that works if a director of football is actually in sync with the manager. They know each other. They've got the same beliefs. They trust each other. And the manager says, "I want that player." The director of football would go and say, yep, he's a good player. And the director then would go and do his homework to find out about his life, to know mm. everything about him. Is he going to work in a dressing room? Are the players going to like him? What kind of personality he's got? Is he, does he have a laugh? Is he quite quiet? You know, everything. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think that, then that's the bits that need to be sorted out because you, you don't want bad eggs, you know, in the dressing room. Yeah. And when you spend, when you spend a lot of money on that, you want to make sure... Is he a strong character? What about if he gets a bit of stick? Does he sulk? All those little bits, small, but they they grow. They can grow over a certain period of time and they could become a negative. Harry Maguire moving to the right. It's not rocket science, is it? You've seen him on his left side. Everyone says he's good on the ball. He's only good on the ball because he dribbles and dribbles into a cul-de-sac and then spins and generally puts someone else under pressure by going backwards and... He doesn't hit anything early off his left side because he can't use his left foot. Gary Pallister played left side. Gary was right-footed, but Gary never put himself in that position. Gary Neville, Gary Neville, sorry, Gary Pallister was a fantastic centre-half who doesn't get what he deserves. People never get to mention. It's absolutely incredible yeah. the way Pally played. Pally just done his job. He didn't dribble, but Pally was so good on the ball, so comfortable with the ball, but you know, it's it's just absolutely amazing. You know, if you're paying if you're paying eighty million for him, I mean, he, he was United's, he was the big, he was the most expensive set and a half at one time, Pally. I think, I mean, when I arrived there, people, you know, people were kept were talking about Pally's first season, but after yeah. that, Pally Pally was phenomenal. My time with Pally, phenomenal player, and as a, as a man, incredible. Yeah, but Clayton, 
Sorry, Clayton Blackmore always goes on record as saying that he thinks that Pallister was the most important Fergie signing, even more than Eric, um, which I, I'm not entirely sure about. But it shows the reverence in you know the the esteem in which you're talking about. He's, he was yeah. vital. He, do, he just doesn't get a mention. Everyone talks about Brucey not playing for England, which is correct, as it's but it's about the quality of centre halves at that given time. And Steve Steve accept, accepted that he, he knows himself the centre halves at around that time. But Pally just doesn't get enough back. He he doesn't get a mention when people talk about the centre halves with have been. But I, mean, I say it, that's that's life today. People will go back to about. 2000 maybe 99 but people don't want to go back you know to 91 92 93 and that's that's too, that's too far away for people you know for people to talk about but how he, he could have a bet it mostly but he'll be more he'll be better with the ball at his feet on his right hand side because he can clear his lines he'll be able to shift the ball quicker out of his feet if he's in trouble because it generally you find on your on when you're on your wrong side you virtually can only go down one corridor because you're not confident on that side. So it should make things easier for him if he can play regularly on his right-hand side. But can Varane play on the left-hand side? Well, yeah, that's that's the second question, isn't it? And... Yeah, but the, my side of it is, though, and I keep looking at Varane, he's, I don't know, he's in second gear. I'm not seeing enough drive from him. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not seeing enough of him. I'm seeing. I'm, all I'm doing is seeing a Frenchman in a pair of gloves. That's all I'm seeing at this moment in time, and I'm not getting it. This is the bloke, and everyone wants to talk about. So he's won so many medals. He's done this and done that. I think he's. I think he's been led through them. Ramos has led him through it. Ramos has played his game for him. You know, Varane is not that that lead that lead play you're looking for. If you look at his cabinet, you go, "Yep, out he comes. Bring out the general." But in theory. The medals on his chest have been won, have been partially won, or a lot of them been won by the person he played next to at Real Madrid, because he's not, he's not, doesn't look anywhere near the same play he was at Real Madrid. He's just doing enough. Yeah, no, yeah, I think you're right. Maguire was good. Well, I say good. He was okay against Leicester. Um, you could even say that Varane was at fault for the goal. Um, let's talk about the game. One-one. Um, I don't even know where you begin with it. Uh, before before we do, a couple of comments. Dave Jenkins. Hi, Paul. See you, Dave. for United. Notts County at Old Trafford. 2-0. Another life, that one, Dave. Um, and Gavin Varma. Um, yeah, let's get to this question very quickly before we move on to the, the Leicester game, actually. Gavin Varma says, with no permanent manager, who does Paul think sanctioned Bruno's new deal? Because we were talking about it last week, whether or not it was a wise decision or not. Let, let's get let's cut to the chase with this one. Who do you reckon was making that decision. It must, it must have been Mr. Arnold, mustn't it? He must have been involved in it, and any interim interim consultant must have had a had a had a mention had something in it. But I look at it; he had three years to go, and I think myself or two and a half. And you think to yourself, why? Why are you doing that for? Because you don't know the person coming in might not like him. But on the other side of the coin, we got to say is that United, as much as there's a there is. The deadwood is growing over the season at the club in that dressing room, mm -hmm. at the training ground. The problem is there's only so many you can get, you can let go because the only, there's only so many that you can bring in. Yeah. The club, like mate, if you go and bring in four players, people go, wow, that's that's going to take a lot of work to get them all firing for the start of a season. 
So there's going to be players who are going to be left. You know, well, so, well, what, yeah, yeah. so what are Manchester United going to go and do? Bruno's got a new, he's got a new contract. I don't know how much longer it is. I don't know. You know, it might be another year, but his money would have gone up. Yeah. Is he going to fit with a new manager? That would be interesting. And if he does fit with a new manager, I want him to fit because the new manager's come in and he's sat him down. He's got his, the manager, new manager's got his finger and he's got it right in his face and he says to him, be a footballer and not a baby. If you get yeah. tackled, it's not always a foul. If you fall over during that tackle, you get up, you chase, you try and win the ball back, but do not berate the referee because the one thing a footballer has never ever been done at any level of football is never been able to change that man in the middle's mind by calling him everything that he doesn't want to hear ever said to him in front of, in front of a lot of people. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Sorry. Yeah. No, I, th I think you're probably right. Uh, Richard Arnold was probably the one pulling the strings on that one. Um, but it'd be nice for some transparency, right? If, it, if they're making this decision, and a lot of people are going, oh, hang on a minute. That's even with it being Bruno, it could be anyone at the club. It's not the point that it's Bruno. You, you want, you're, you're saying you want to be told. You, you think they should come out and say their reasons behind it rather than everyone taking a guess at it. Well, yeah, this, I mean, it's almost a year since there was the protests and they, the owners promised greater transparency. And I'm just saying in this instance, it seems clear as mud. But, you know, like, and, and it's not about Bruno. It's the Whoever it is who gets the new contract, who's making that decision? Why are they making that decision? Do you understand that you almost certainly recreating that process of undermining the next manager, whoever he is, because you're saying... Someone else is pulling the strings and calling the shots. Anyway, that ties into United's performance against Leicester, doesn't it? It surely does. They, they drew 1-1. Um, the goal that we scored seemed like a like that punch-drunk reaction. Like you know, There was nothing to suggest it was coming. Just like, oh my God, we've been sparked into life. Let's do something. There was nothing to suggest it was going to come before or after that. The only other chance that I really think um, was worth discussing was the Rashford one right in injury time where he'd let it go across his body. Apart from that, Leicester, for an hour, did they looked like they did not want to play the game and it was a game that was there for their taking if they wanted it. It was a, a such a weird game, Paul. And then when, when the change was made and Rashford was brought up front and Pogba was played in midfield, it was Leicester suddenly thought, do you know what, we'll get some joy in midfield around Pogba now. And they did. Um, Madison embarrassing him for the goal. Um, Varane could be blamed also. Um, and then you, you've you got the other, the, the disallowed goal, which Varane was very, very lucky for. Um, United also lucky that McTominay, so lucky whether McTominay was sent off because he played poorly as well, but he should have been sent off in my opinion. So they got lucky with two decisions there. They got a point they didn't deserve to get. Um, we'll talk about the individuals, Paul, but in terms of the game, a very poor game and, and United getting a point more than they probably deserved, right? And, and I'm not yeah. saying Leicester, Leicester probably didn't deserve anything either, but um, United certainly didn't. No, they didn't. I mean, the game... Oh, talk about United... United played the game like um like it was a testimonial. Yeah. When you think it was, you know, there's still a chance, an outside chance of Champions League football. So you you try and play to that. It must be it's got to be some kind of incentive. 
I don't want to see United having a big party on the pitch if they were to qualify. Um, yeah. But you know, you'd think they would have the players who want to have a go. There'd be there'd be bonuses there for them to go and get and go and grab it. But it seems like they're just accepted. Just think, just get through it as quick as possible. Every game we play, that means it's a it's a game less. That means we'll then get get to May and we can have a holiday. Yeah. That that kind of attitude was, you know, in that way. Leicester were no better. Leicester was shocking in the way they went about that game. And I, I just, and I go, I keep mentioning his name every time I hear, but Sir Alex, and it didn't matter. doesn't matter when, whatever time of year that game was, whatever, you would have to still have a go. Yeah. He'll tell you, you're Manchester United. You go out and you try and win every single game you play. doesn't matter what it is and, and what it means. If you know if there's nothing for you to gain at the end of it or change anything, you still have to go and play, you know, in a certain way. That's you know that that makes you be a Manchester United player. But they they didn't you know Leicester were poor, but United a lot of them are not fussed, Wayne. And I think it's it's becoming a common denominator of of Premier League football. And I just watch a lot of it. I watch so many different teams. I watch them live, and I think myself. But someone's just nicked the ball off his toe and he's jogging back. Yeah. Now I'm going to wait now. His, his captain's going to give him a rollicking for that. The manager's going to jump off the bench and throw everything at him. No one says a word. Yeah. You know, and it's just, I don't, I don't know. I, I really don't know. There's a lot of people in that stadium putting up with so much, travelling a long way, yeah. having to put up with all the... I'm going to use the word crap, trying to get to that ground because it's not easy to get to or get away from Old Trafford now. Mm, no, and yeah. and all they're doing is watching people just going through the motions who are getting well paid for it. It's, 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 it's genuinely distressing, Paul, because, I mean, that's you've, you've summed it up so well there. It's like you're turning up to a game and they don't want to be on the pitch. Mm. So what does that translate to for us? We're meant to be supporting you. Do you know, it's... It's genuinely distressing to see. And I, I want to talk about this because it was, you said testimonial and that was basically it. And there was, at least in a testimonial, there's, um, you have a desire to entertain, right? It's like, do a few tricks. Paul Parker might try a 35-yard shot or a step over. You, you're going a, bit, you're going a bit, bit far with that. The shot, you, that means I've got to be in the attacking half and a step over, him and out. Uh, but you know that you know where I'm going with that. You know what yeah. I'm trying to say is that there's a, an obligation to entertain, and there's yeah. there's none of that, and there's none of the, the desire to win. And these are games like Leicester, Watford, City. These games where United were embarrassed before Christmas. Why? And we've talked about it before. The sensibility of these players. Where's the pride? You you know, regardless of the Champions League places, these teams were embarrassing you. They were humiliating you before Christmas, and you're not shown anything to come back and and show your own worth with that um especially that chelsea were defeated earlier in the day and, and the champions league spot still there up for for a fight as long as you want to try and fight for it but they were playing with no urgency and you know a lot of people when you watch football and it's a tendency these days people like to overcomplicate things don't they they like to look for a deeper reason and say oh well it's not happening because such and such had this happen or such and such was playing in this position but sometimes you look at it and it just is what it is right and there's no direction from the top 
there's no real emphasis being placed on achievement other than qualifying for the Champions League, and that is not an achievement for Manchester United. And then you add into the boiling pot, there's a bunch of United players who are out of contract in the summer, and a few of those have already openly tried to leave before. You're not getting the ingredients for a team that is going to show any sort of urgency. So that's what, I mean, sometimes, instead of looking for all the deeper reasons, you look at it and, and call it for what it is because that's what you're seeing on the pitch. There's no hiding place for them. We were saying this after Oli was sacked. These players, for the next few months, Paul, they were going to see that there's no hiding place for them and all of them have been uh, found out, right? There's, there's no hiding place. There, I mean, I look at it, all these players, and first thing, you've got, you've got to, in any walk of life, doesn't matter what you do, you've got to have a bit of personal pride about yourself. You know, you want people to see you in the right light. You want to people to know that you, can, you, you want to work hard. And it doesn't matter how talented you are, at some point, you're going to have to work hard. And if you can't work hard, talent is not, just, it's not going to get you through. It'll only take you a short way, talent, because it will get found out, and then people are will then test you on the other side again because they've dealt with a talented side of you. They want to see if you are you going to work hard now to try and get back in that hole again to be that talented player. There's a yeah. lot of them who don't want to do that. There's a lot of those players out Manchester United. Got to remember, they've got to understand that everybody's watching them now because because suddenly, good, bad, or indifferent, Manchester United are always a headline. So there's a lot of people watching them now. People who are not football fans, not Man United fans, and they're watching them and they're seeing what's going on. And then when that player moves to another club, those people are going to watch them again to see what they do different. They're watching them to see, yeah. do they change? Do they change? All of a sudden, are they running around and they're beavering away? They're going, yeah, they cheated Manchester United. And then there's going to be those supporters of that team who these players go to and they're going to be there going, right, okay. Now go and do something. And if they go anywhere near to what they were doing at Old Trafford, they're going to be un- they're going to be questioned again. The manager who's going to brought him in is going to be questioned. So those players, if you haven't got your own personal pride, who do you think is going to take you next? And trust me, you leave Manchester United, and all of a sudden, in theory, you be- football-wise, you're suddenly going to feel like a second-class citizen. That's how you're going to feel. That's, that's the way, because you've just suddenly, maybe a lot of these players here have forgotten where they come from. Yeah. And they're going to have to go back and really, really dig in about that, you know, about life in general. And and they think it's going to be that easy. Trust me, it's not easy out there. There's a lot of players who had a lot, who had very, you know, done very well when they left Old Trafford. But I'll tell you what, they will turn around and tell them how good a place that is you go to and what people do for you. It's incredible. It's like being in you're in a business class lounge, in a football yeah. club. That's yeah. that's where it is. And all you, of a sudden, then you're jumping into the next, you're jumping down a level when you leave. You, you've said that before about these um, players, that they sort of liked the limelight of United. And I wonder if now, a few months on from all those bad performances in the autumn and the reality of the expectation that's placed on them, I wonder if now that spotlight's a little bit um, too uncomfortable. Um, a couple of comments in here along the same lines. Uh, Dave Jenkins, hope you can tell me, Paul, how would you lads have dealt with this culture that's set in since Ollie took over? Ralph seems to have no authority. And then Mike says, who, who can dictate a team's performance? The manager, of course, but on the pitch, it's the players. Too often I see players like Pogba walk around looking disinterested and that lethargy permeates to all 
So this is the point, isn't it, Paul? We've all, we've talked about the lack of leadership from above, but there's no accountability from individuals and teammates. Like the teammates aren't saying, "Come on, you've got to stand up." There are maybe one or two players. Like at the weekend, you saw. I'm not. Fernandez didn't play well, but Fernandez, Fred, and Sancho. In Alanga to an extent, but it's a lot on Alanga. But those three players, it looked like it they wanted to do something. I'm not saying that they either, any of them played well. Fred probably the best again, but you know, at least they want they're trying to be there. They want something, even if they they're part of a, a team that's struggling. But other than that, I mean, then even those players aren't looking at other players and saying, "Come on." So, I mean, where where do you stand on that? I mean, because yeah, I mean. If we deal with what Dave's saying there, how would you lads have dealt with this culture that's setting since Ali took over? It is basically, it's got to be an individual thing, but then it's something that you, as an individual, you wouldn't, it'd be a collective, right? Who wouldn't accept it from an individual. It wouldn't be you as an individual saying to the collective because United's spirit in that squad was more collective. So it'd be an individual standing out like a, a rotten apple, even if it happened. I don't think it did happen in your time. But, yeah, go on. How would you have dealt yeah. with that? Well, first of all, I think Oli come in and I think he'd done great what he'd done because issues around the training ground at the club. The club had lost its way. Yeah. The previous manager didn't didn't do the right things with the people off the pitch. Sir Alex always saw them as just as important, the people off the pitch. Yeah. But, you know, they, you know, it worked both ways. And all that had been lost. Ollie brought that together. Then he kind of got things going around the, around the dressing room. He got rid of a few bad apples to make things better. And he got that. And then after that, he got let down let down by the players. Ollie didn't rule with a rod of steel. It wasn't him. It wasn't, it wasn't that way in that yeah. sense. He's got, he had to go in there and make friends and whatever. But then he couldn't go back the other side of it where it was needed for him to step away and not be their friends, to be their manager. Hate me, but respect me in the, in the way I'm trying to manage this yeah. team to make yeah. to make us successful. That's how the that's that's the way in a way the small part of how it works. Because it doesn't matter who you work for, Wayne or everyone else out there, you might not like your superior, but you respect them. Yeah. Simple as that. And, and what they're trying to do and what they you know they might have a funny way of pushing it through, but that's, you know, that's the, it's about managing. Everyone's got their own different way of doing it. But um, when I look at the situation they're in now, is because Ralph can only go so far because he's not the boss. We've got to remember that Ralph isn't a boss either in that sense. He's the man who sits behind the boss. He's, Especially he's, with the Fernandez contracts. They're, they're emphasising the point, aren't they? They're basically yeah. saying it's just... Yeah. yeah. So he's never... So he's mostly got his own opinions, but he's been in that, his job has always been, I'm a friend of the players because I'm the one they see in the background who's working with the manager. So while everyone's calling out the manager, they've mostly gone to maybe go to him to say something. And he's the kind of one who kind of like the firefighter as such. So, um, so that's the problem they've got. And then they've got the, bit, the, the worst thing for criticism that can never hurt you as a footballer, you know, or in any other industry, is the people who are working with you. Yeah. If one of them criticises you, 
that is worse than your boss doing it because then straight away it's there out there for the people around you can hear it and they know that you've been questioned by the lead man i.e the captain or senior pro they've questioned you because you haven't been working hard you're being lazy you're being naive you don't care about us other 10 out in this field with you and 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 that that is the that is the biggest thing for me is that the worst thing is being called out by your own by your own teammate yes a manager say i.e a robo a roy Keane could come in and get tighter do this work you know you're not working hard enough you've got to win that header it's fine, but when you're being criticised by one of your fellow workers out there where it matters, where you, where, out in that area what makes or breaks you, it hurts you. And there's only one way, two ways you can go. You can go out and prove him wrong or you can sulk. And I think there's a lot of sulkers there, but there is no one on that pitch who can take those players across the line. You mentioned about Fernandes. Fernandes will shout and scream for himself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all about him. Without a shadow of that, there's no one on that park you can look to, and those players go. You can you can believe they could go. Yeah, it just isn't there no more. But that's that's a cultural thing. That's that's the world we're living. We we're, we're not as a as a country at this moment in time. We're not we're not nurturing those people. We're we're taking all that away now. We're not allowing because anything you do, that's bullying. You know, yeah. so we're, we're not building those things now. I look at my life and I could talk about for ages about what I endured playing football and work, but I t- that made me. So when someone criticised me, my idea was I'm going to shove it right back where the sun doesn't shine. I ain't going to run away and sulk and make you talk about me. And you, these, players haven't, these players haven't got it, Wayne. Do you think that in this dressing room, the absence of that is because no one is brave enough to point a finger because the finger will be pointed right back at every player. There's no one well, safe from that. Oh, yeah, but yeah, because they all know they haven't been doing it. They haven't been doing their job. There's no one who's been 100%. It isn't now. And I, I use them again, Robbo. Robbo played in, in you know, in teams, some good, with some Manchester United great players he played with. But as a team, they could never get together. And everyone was saying to Robbo, Robbo, you know, he, he deserves to be in, in a championship winning team. Yeah. And he got and he got there in the end because it's about getting the right people in and around. It doesn't have to be all great players. The problem with United is that he want to sign what they deem as every great player, the most expensive player, go out and overpay people, give them a weekly wage. I, like, I keep saying it, United had a pay structure and they, they didn't change it for anything. Doesn't matter who you were. Yes, there was levels they went to, but I knew I was never going to earn the same money as a centre forward. Everybody should know that. It doesn't work that way. I was a destroyer. Centre forwards are creative. Central midfield players, top mid, are creative. Some can destroy, but there's that bit of creativity in them normally. But now at the moment, football in general wants to build a defensive midfield player who can just pass it square and backwards. And that's a great player, by the way, who never puts himself under pressure. So we're kind of going, just be negative. So so the whole thing's changed. Our culture, football, football is not with the working class anymore. So you think about some of the great leaders over the years you've seen play for clubs, being English, being from there. You find out where their background is. And I'll tell you what, nine times out of ten, there's, there's a blue collar there, you know, brought up in a family with blue collars because of life. They wanted to get out from where they're from 
and go and make a name to look after all those people who stand behind them as family and good friends? Um, yeah, a load of questions, comments coming in, guys. Um, great points there, uh, points there, Paul. Um, Mike Pieri, um, I guess this is more of a rhetorical question. Uh, where is the professional pride? Why can Salah, Marnie, De Bruyne and Silva bust a gut for that lot and our highly paid and talented players seemingly couldn't care less? How do we flick that switch? That's the million-dollar question. It's Obviously, it's a, partly with the players and partly with the direction that they've got. And I think the point is emphasised when City were winning us 3-1 recently and they were running all over the pitch to get the ball and, and then score that fourth. And the younger that they were showing at 3-1, we haven't shown at any point for three years. Um, Patrick Aguiman, uh, morning Patrick, how are you doing? He says, morning guys, question. After any other point, um, Ragnit being interim and lack of authority, i.e. the players need to know the coach for the long term, but Oli was given a three-year contract in July. His long-term deal didn't make a difference with the players' performances in his final three months. Is it giving players an excuse for mediocrity? Uh, that's an interesting one. I mean, uh, yeah, it comes on to Oli's um, <coughs> criticism of Oli as a manager, but I I just think on that one, I think that Oli, yeah, his inadequacies at this level were exposed. And maybe that part of that was the iron fist that you were talking about. They didn't rule with that. Um, do you, I mean, is that I, I, I tend to blame the players for that, Paul. I, I tend to put the responsibility of the players, though, for that. Where, where would you go with that? I mean, it's, it's a good question, it's definitely a good question. Yeah, um, it, it's definitely it is the players, you know, the manager can only go so far, but. It's easier to get rid of one person rather than try and get rid of at least um, 11 of them on a football pitch. You just can't get rid of it. Players yeah. now <clears throat> have got the power. It's as simple as that. They control it. They can go to anybody, CEO or anybody, and say, oh, the manager's lost a dressing room. And that CEO might turn around and go, oh, just shake his head. And all of a sudden, you plant the seeds. And then he's going to go and do some checking around and then find out what people are saying, maybe even look what social media are saying, and then make a decision. And that's, and that's where we are in the world today, in any industry. Social media is used as a point to look at something and question it. I'm, you know, I know of that <clears throat> there's a, a football team out there that um, one, of the, one of the son of the chairman will look at that and see what people are talking about with managers and with players. And they will use that to say to the chairman, to his dad or it is, and say, look, they're saying this about that player, they're saying that. So then the dad would go and speak to the, go and speak to the manager and have, with a bit of authority to talk about that player. You know, and, that, and, that's, and social media is being used as a yardstick for everything. Everything out there doesn't, not just football, of course, everything. It's what people, and, and that is the problem. Players will look at that. They're mostly reading about themselves, what people are saying. You know, we had newspapers, you know, and you'd, some players would look at it to see how many marks out of 10 they'd got in one of the Sundays. Some people, yeah. some players wouldn't even bother looking at it because they know they would, they would differ to, to each paper because, and, and rightly so, because football is not robotic. It's people are opinionated. The yeah. problem is now that every time someone has an opinion, Unless you're with good friends, people want to get aggressive about it and won't allow your opinion. They won't give you a good answer back to why they think your opinion's wrong. They want to get aggressive. And that's, so we're being, everything's been, all the good bits about football 
It's been sucked away now from people. As you sit, you know, you sit here, here you look into it, and you'll, you'll have an opinion about something, and someone will come back and virtually want to call you out. And then, then they want, you know, they're virtually then, the way they finish it saying, virtually, that's it now, I'm not talking about it anymore. And, that, and that's where we've got to where football, the reason why it's the greatest sport in the world, or was, was because we could all sit there and have a different opinion and have a laugh and a joke about it. Not anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Although I still enjoy our difference of opinion. Not differences of opinion. Our, our conversations where we can have a difference of opinion because at least we have a conversation about it. I've got a couple of comments to read here before I ask you a belter of a question, Paul. Um, so Patrick just concludes his point with the owners are not demanding sporting excellence from the executive management team. Uh, Woodward and Arnold, executive, executive management, a clueless building high-level sporting infrastructure, but pay ridiculous amounts to players, which give them a sense of entitlement and overindulgence without the need to win things. Yet, I don't think uh, you'll find a disagreement uh, with us. Andy Gillespie, um, good morning, Andy. Hope you're well. He says, reading the Sammy book, the Sammy Mike book, uh, Wayne, I remember the low periods under Dave Sexton, the likes of Sammy and Lou love the club. Um, as for this current shambles, and yes, so this is going to form the basis of what I was going to ask you, Paul. We have been doing a podcast with each other for three or oh, just over three years, and in that period of time, and a few weeks ago, when we, I think we lost against Say, I ran through was it a list of like 35 results since Fergie retired, and we've said, Oh, this is the lowest point since Fergie, and we went and like I went on a lot of them. And really, you could say that, that there are definitely a few big low points since Fergie retired. I want to ask you this question a different way because I've seen a few people talking about this and, and heard it in conversations. And I don't want to throw you under the bus or put words into your mouth because obviously this is one that will make press and stuff like that. And I don't want to make you feel like you're in a position where you've got to be too critical about this. But I look at this Manchester United side, and maybe I'm asking the leading question because it's what I think. And people joining in the chat, please tell us what you think about this point that I'm going to bring up. Obviously, United went through the horror of Munich. They also went through the horror of relegation. But I look at this Manchester United side and, and take talent away. I mean, you have to consider everything everything, the bigger picture, the achievement, the effort, how lights they are, the style of football and everything like that. Is this, is it the worst post-war Manchester United team? Is that what we're watching right now? Oh, it's very difficult because football is changing so much, I think, for the worst. Um, but when you look at it collectively, um, I think we have to say yes. For the for looking, you're looking for the value on the pitch. Yeah, I think yeah, I think you have to say that when you look at the individuals, what they're costing, and what they're costing, what they've cost, what they're costing. Yeah, I think you have to say that. And there's been some great Manchester United teams, some great individuals, but those players come and <clears throat> come to play for a football club. To try and go and get the get the get all the good bits out of it because they knew what would come if they could get everything there. If you you know, I come, I signed for United because of what it meant to my um, 
my dad, my dad just, you know, he loved his boxing, loved his cricket, but um, Bobby Charlton and George Best. So when that opportunity came, I went. People said, oh, did you sign to win a league? That didn't really come into my head. It was about to play for the club. And then when I arrived at the club, then I realised that there was this thing about winning a, winning that league after 25 years. It was 25 years that first time. Yeah. So that was in, So the money, the other side of it didn't really come into it. Yeah. I look at it now, and the problem is, is that football now is, if you don't, if you if you wanted to go down that road again and saying it's about playing for Manchester United, winning the league here would be greater than going to winning the league anywhere else. Yeah. You, do, you know that what it'll give you that feeling, everything, the adulation. You couldn't surpass it. Someone Liverpool would say something complete would yeah. maybe say that about Liverpool, but they're both in that same. Both in that bit, Liverpool, Manchester United, the two two yeah. biggest English clubs, British clubs, without a doubt. <clears throat> so, um, but if they, if you're not willing to give it there, other clubs are willing to give it. So to stop those other clubs, I think these people are drawn into it. They've been quite poor in the way they've negotiated Manchester United. Everything has just paid loads more. And I've heard some some stories of late with certain players, and you know that. Overspent. So United on paper, you look at teams on a bit of paper and you go, yeah, everyone goes, the old saying is on paper, wow. But as we know, a bit of a eight forward doesn't win your game of football. No, yeah. Blood, sweat, and tears win your football nine times out of ten. And if there's a bit of talent in there as well, that will help you as well along the way. But blood, sweat, and tears will always win you a championship. Yeah. And the talent inside and all the tricks and everything, that's cup football. But um, this side at the moment, when you're talking about during my time, <clears throat> once I stopped playing for United and, you know, when I used to be there regularly doing stuff with MUTV and I'm there doing media stuff, being the most unenjoyable to watch yeah. in that sense. It doesn't doesn't give me a buzz just to, to watch them. And sometimes it's on. And it's only because I've got it on mostly in every room when, when United are playing, when I'm at home, if I'm not working on one of their games. But I move around. I can't just sit there and be glued to it because I just know I'll end up feeling disappointed. I'll be disappointed in what I'm seeing. So I'm not. I'm not even seeing one shining light at this moment in time. Yeah, it's. it's I didn't want to. Cause it's a bit of a bomb of a question to throw at you, and but I, I've, I've been thinking about it a lot, and it's because of. And it's because of the fact that even in the like the post Munich side, you had a connection, like a really strong emotional connection. And you still had a fair amount of talent. Um, but you had a really strong emotional connection that um I'm not gonna say it was a good time, obviously it was not, it was a tragic time for the club, but there was a bond there, there was a bond, a unification, um, which pulled the club through. So um obviously there was a time where there was a collective and they were all together fighting for the same cause. And then even when they went down, at least there was a nucleus of young players in the side who had a, they were struggling with the, you know, the, the specter of best law and Charlton, do you know what I mean? And they were trying to live up to that and realize that they couldn't. And as soon as they realized that they could get that, that particular monkey off the back and then play with a little freedom as they did in the second division, there was a generation of support who'd grown up, basically watching the European Cup win and wanting 
their new United heroes to do the same. And so you had this new generation of teenagers who could travel to away games and, and they had this bond. They had this bond with the United side that they loved to watch to play. And it's, I think we said it on last week's podcast, didn't we? The United would have to improve from where they are to be a Doherty side or an Atkinson side. They would have to improve to get to that level, which shows you. I mean, that we're talking about a full package in terms of, again, not just the talent that's on the paper. We're talking about the entertainment value in the ground, the connection that they've got with the fans, the way that um, the way that you feel around the club, the direction from the top, and and I, I don't want to blame the players too much for this because I do think like what we saw on Saturday, and it does come back to Saturday's performance and the the insipid, boring way in which nobody seemed to want to be there, which is growing accustomed. I mean, this is the first season back for three years we've been allowed fans for the full for a lot. And it started off so well. I loved being at Old Trafford all the time. And then now it's not... I mean, don't get me wrong, I still like seeing people, but it's like the 90 minutes is like, oh, God, we've got to sit through this. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's... Uh, Mike says, what question? Um, the best way I can answer it is that among this group, there are so many unlikable individuals who I couldn't care less if they never played for their club again. Paul, some of them will be playing again at Everton at the weekend. And it's funny parallel because three years ago... Ole uh, basically said um, that some of these players aren't going to be, uh, you know, after we got battered at Everton. And now we come up at Everton again, who were in a bit of a free fall of their own under Frank Lampard. Decisions for Ralph Rangnick is basically, I mean, he's not going to put in kids into the side. I mean, he might try a few in the home games that are left with Norwich and, and Brentford, but he's not going to do it. With, I know we've got Chelsea at home as well, but Norwich and Brentford stand out as potential games he might play kids in. He's not going to do it at Everton, um, which doesn't really make you feel any better about this because, I mean, Everton are in free fall, but they're going to look at it like Leicester did, like Watford did. They're going to look at United as a potential um, stepping stone to recovering their own form. So, what do you make of that? I mean, it's it's a difficult game to call, but, I mean, in any other time, we should be taking Everton to the cleaners. They're so low on confidence. Yeah, it's quite ironic, really, that you mention Everton because um, <clears throat> I was at West Ham yesterday and I saw Everton play there. Yeah. And I was um, chatting someone who, excuse me, <clears throat> who I, I used to, I was, I was his apprentice at Fulham, was an old Ever, old Evertonian called Ronnie Goodlass. Yeah. So I was I used to clean his, clean his boots when he was a Fulham player. And he was sitting behind me and he was working... <clears throat> I don't know. If, I don't know. I think it's City Radio. I don't know who he's working for. And he just he talked about the Crystal Palace FA Cup game. He was he was doing that one. He said we started. He goes started off great. Twenty minutes, absolutely great. And he goes then we died a death. And I was I, I did something for him after the game, a little chat thing just to go back. And 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 he just said to me again. He said he goes we had a good twenty minutes. He goes but after that again it was rubbish. That's exactly how it was with Everton. Everton are a poor, poor team. Michael Keane got sent off. Stupidity. Yeah. You know, it was just what he tried to do. I mean, Mason Holgate, I really, I don't know yet he keeps playing him. Van, Van der Beek warmed up. He was starting, warmed up. And then before we know it, everyone's looking around going, oh, a minute, that's, made, that's Holgate. He's meant to be on the bench. So Van der Beek <clears throat> doesn't start the game. I don't know what happened there. So then you, you see Calvert-Lewin and 
I look at Calvert-Lewin and you think, yeah, he's got a presence, he stands upright, but I don't know if he's more worried about fashion shows. So Everton at the moment, as I keep saying, is, you, you're, never, you, you're never too good to go down. You can look good, you know, because they've never been relegated before. Everything can look all right. But if you haven't got, if you've got people out there who can't be bothered, then you're always going to have problems. And when you're in that situation, you don't bring in the Frank Lampard. Mm. So, and, you know, even he's been questioned about the players who he's leaving on the bench or the players he's actually starting with. So Everton are a poor, poor team at this moment in time. They, they mostly will get away with it because of the teams below them. That might be the only reason why they might get away with it. A few weeks back, everyone was calling Brentford. Brentford has slowly got out. Ericsson is deep. It's a great signing. I, I thought he would be. He'd make Ivan Tony play back because Ivan Tony wouldn't drop deep anymore. He knew he had someone like Ericsson there. So he's playing further forward. So at this moment in time, um, Everton have got a big, big problem. And it wouldn't surprise me if United were to go and give Everton confidence and allow them to go and take points off of them. So Everton, give Everton a bit of breathing space. You just don't know where you're going to get. While, as we always know, going to Goodison was always a good place for Manchester United to go and play. They generally always generally always went there and got, got results there, deserved, deservedly. But Ollie, when they went there with Ollie at the, the back end of that season, that was that was terrible, wasn't it? When, when they went there, I mean, that honestly, it was... It was that we've was an awful performance. We've had a few, haven't we? There was a yeah. Moyes had one, Van Gaal had one, um, mm. and obviously Oli had one as well. So, yeah, what do you reckon? So you you know you're stopping short of making a prediction of what United side are going to turn up then. We can't you can't do it where before before we all knew, didn't we? We knew who was who was going to be there. Yeah. You, you knew what was going to go out there. But not anymore. You don't. No, no one knows. That's what everyone says. Everyone says it. You don't have to be a United fan. You go on the street and you turn around and say, "Saying," and they'll just do that. They'll shrug their shoulders and say, "We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen." Yeah. Where before everyone go, everyone would go, "Oh yeah, United are going to win that. Oh, it's going to be easy." That's what people do with City and Liverpool now. But United, yeah, no, yeah. you know, I mean, everyone's waiting for that moment that Manchester United and Liverpool. Are racing, are trying to win a title at the moment. One's trying to win it, the other one's having a problem. Then it goes like that all the time. They're never, I don't think they've been actively in that Premier League, both going for the title. There was the one season, um, 2009, wasn't there? Um, the one with Makeda and yeah, Torres. That's the one. But it, it uh, hasn't, it, it hasn't been what the Premier League have wanted, has it? They, they want no, those no, two, they, they, have, they haven't got what they've wanted, you know, the Premier League because of it, you know, yes. Manchester City are doing what they're doing, but they want you know they want Manchester United as simple as that. Yeah, well, we will see. Um, we'll be back next week to see that. Um, just to close on uh, some really good conversations in the comment section today. Thanks for uh, joining in, guys. Uh, Patrick says it, um, going back to the worst ever uh, post-war United side. Um, it's a good question. Sadly, I have to agree with Paul when you consider the names. Um, on paper, talent, money spent, size of club now, post Fergate, United punching well below their weight, absolutely. One last question from Dave, um, Dave Jenkins, Italia 90. A bit of a high note for you, Paul, <laughs> at least. Uh, what was it like playing against the Cameroon lads of the 1990 World Cup? Uh, what a great match that was. Physically demanding. 
That's what it was. There was absolutely incredible people to play against. They, were, they desperately wanted our shirts after the game. Um, Bobby Robson dropped a, a comment just before we went out on the pitch. And they went from being quite friendly to kind of being quite angry. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they were powerful. And we, you know, as everyone knows, we come very, very close to losing that game. Very close. Only sheer naivety on their part stopped them from having the biggest win, which would be now. would be talked about now if they had beaten England at that given time. But we got over it. Two 100% penalties. There was no doubt about the penalties because... You know, that happens That happens in today's football and someone would be calling for the player, for that player to be arrested. That's what, you know, in that way. But, but we, you know, we got, we got through it, didn't we? But it was to play against them and it's great, you know, it's been asked, but it's, it gets mentioned all the time and we've been to a, a semi-final and a, um, and a final since that time. But everyone still relates to that, you know, going back there because... I still say it was quite. It was an iconic World Cup. Yeah, it was as simple, simple yeah. as that. And you know, and now all of a sudden we're talking about 2022 Qatar. Well, why not? Yeah. Um, don't worry about that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we'll be back next week to talk about the Everton game, and yeah, who knows what we'll get from United. Uh, thanks for listening and watching, guys. If you've enjoyed the show, uh, please give us a like and subscribe on YouTube. Please um, join in the conversation, the comment section. We do still read them. And if you're listening back on the audio podcast, please give us a subscribe and a review on the platform you're listening on. Um, Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching, guys. And we will be back next week. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.